Hi, welcome to this edition of the What's Next podcast, where I have the honor and pleasure to welcome Doug Dennerline to the show. He has spent his career in tech before becoming the CEO at BetterWorks. He was the CEO of Alfresco and the president of Success Factors. Before that, he spent 11 years at Cisco, where he ran the enterprise sales organization. He was also the GM for WebEx and Collaboration Software Group. But the best part I love about his career is the fact that he actually started as a sales rep for Hewlett Packard in the Bay Area. So I always love to see that salespeople can make it all the way to the corner office. Welcome, Doug, to the show. Well, thank you, Tiffany. Glad to be here. Yes. Well, I always start out the show with something I call bullish and bearish. It's nothing too painful. Bullish is you're for it. Bearish is you're against it. Uh, and um, we'll start there. So are you ready? I am. All right. The first one. Arizona State University is the best college in the Pac-12. Bearish. Oh, how could you do that? <laughs> I am just insulted. I am a fellow Sun Devil. You are? Oh, no. I am. <laughs> oh, I feel like this, this interview is over. I don't know if I can continue. <laughs> it, just because you live in the Bay Area doesn't mean you have to, you know, jump ship on your school. All right. We'll go to the next one. All right. The next one, Tiger Woods will beat Jack Nicholas' major wins. Oh, boy, that's tough. Uh, bearish. Oh, no. Okay. All right. Two I did not expect you to do, which is always good when I get not what I expect. That's a little fun. Okay. Those are the fun, easy ones, although I feel like I can't get over the ASU one. All right. Let's keep going. Okay. Employees are the greatest competitive weapon. Bullish, 100%. Absolutely. Great. Excellent. Well, hopefully that wasn't too painful. Uh, and now I will always forever know and tease you about the ASU. But I, you know, I don't know if you knew that, you know, we are, you know, alumni together in, in the uh, Tempe world. Wonderful. I was born and raised. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I, uh, I was born and raised in Hawaii. So you can only imagine that I went to ASU and was very confused, very confused. <laughs> I looked around and I went, that's a lot of sand with no beach. Exactly. <laughs> and a lot hotter. And a lot hotter. I remember the first time people are like, oh, we're going to go surfing. You know, we're going to go surfing. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm in. Like, you know, let's go. And I go and we showed up at that. We remember big surf and it was that oh big, huge bottle of body of water that this wall would push waves. And I was like, yeah, no, not going to happen. <laughs> anyway, all right, let's get to the conversation. Um, you know, I, 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 I found it really a great time to have a conversation with a leader and CEO like you. You know, we're, we're sort of in the middle of this kind of unprecedented time. And I'm, I'm always fascinated to hear how leaders have really responded internally and externally. And maybe you can kind of just step our listeners through, you know, uh, kind of how you approached it when it went into, in the U.S. anyway, right, went into kind of this lockdown mode, but how you responded from a leadership and employee and customer standpoint, I think that how uh, executives have been approaching it is, is really insightful to some lessons that others can, can take away. Yeah, it's certainly been interesting, Tiffany. Um, for whatever reason, um, I was early to send my team home. I probably did it about 10 days before anybody locked anything down. Uh, I just saw it spreading at a rate that was, you know, seemed at a risk for employees. 
And I guess also because I was the leader of WebEx and Cisco had such a broad IP telephony platform that I really didn't understand why this phenomenon of Zoom didn't happen in 2007 when Cisco bought WebEx. I thought, why get in an airplane and fly inefficiently to New York uh, for you know uh, five or six hours and lose that time both directions when you can be much more efficient just doing web meetings? And then you add into that the tools that are available now to collaborate, whether that be Slack or MS Teams. Um, you know, the ability to really be efficient at home is there and. The good news for the Valley is, and in many other places, I shouldn't say just the Valley, many companies already gave their employees the tools they need to be efficient from not at work, whether that be a laptop, computer, or pay for their wireless uh, you know, infrastructure and modem at home. Uh, on the other hand, for many organizations, this was a first, and um, they had to figure out how to get their heads around it. Uh, what did ultimately end up happening, though, is, you know, I, I've started putting rules in place because I found myself doing literally seven to nine o'clock every night and being in Zoom the entire time. And so I put some rules in place with my team where we said we want meetings to be no longer than 30 minutes. Uh, Zooms can only be 30 minutes long. So whatever you thought you could do in an hour, do it in 30 minutes. You can only do two Zoom meetings of 30 minutes before you have a 30 minute window that you cannot be on Zoom. I added an extra hour in the day for people to get out of their house and walk around the neighborhood or do homework with the kids or whatever. So we put an extra hour in people's day to not be involved at work. Uh, we did virtual happy hours. We did company check-ins every week. Um, and it's worked really well for us. And I do think that work has changed forever because of it. Yeah, and there's something I would love to talk about. Uh, on the comment you made about WebEx, and I'm not picking on WebEx because this isn't what this conversation is about, but I, I'm very fascinated and interested in the timing of why things work and don't work. And the fact that you sort of said, look, you know, I don't know why this is something that, you know, we were doing WebEx a gazillion, you know what I mean? That whole conversation. Um, do you think it was a timing thing at that point? Um, and then I'll get back to furthering this conversation. But, you know, I, when you said that, I was like, I, I just want to ask what you yeah. think. You know, and, and I know that you've done some work in historically with Cisco as well, Tiffany. You know, you sat in a telepresence meeting with somebody from New York on the other side of telepresence. You felt like you were in the room with them. Yes. And so between that technology and the ability to share, you know, your documents and collaborate and work together, I, I was really amazed that it didn't literally hurt the airline industry. At that time, it took COVID to really actually probably prove to a lot of executives around the world that the productivity of your company can actually almost increase because of these tools versus decrease. And, you know, I'm very happy for my, my friend, Eric Yuan, who was my head of product at, at WebEx and the founder of Zoom. Uh, you know, he's helped the world in a meaningful way, and, and uh, I'm really glad for that. Yeah. And, and, and I think now going back to what sort of you were saying before, you know, if you sort of tell people, hey, listen, you know, don't have meetings longer than a half hour, do this, you know, take some time off, walk around the neighborhood, you know, this kind of balance of everything is happening at home at the moment. What did you need to do to follow that up with like productivity metrics or, 
you know, management calls or step call, you know, step meeting calls or the way in which you were metricing and watching the performance of the business. Yeah, it's well, I, I'm going to give myself a cheap commercial at BetterWorks here because, you know, Tiffany, what we do and what our product platform is all about is it's the ability for you to transparently set goals with the organization. Uh, you set your top company goals. You publish those inside of BetterWorks. Everybody in the company can see what those quarterly goals are. They can sit with their leadership and determine what their goals should be as they're tied to the goals of the organization. And then you basically update your progress and you have things called, you know, conversations, constant conversations with manager and employee in the application. So I, as a leader, go into my own application of BetterWorks every day and I can see the progress that people have made towards the things that we think are the most important thing in the company. And so it's a wonderful asset we have and we use internally extensively. So anybody in my company can look exactly where we are and where we're having difficulty in achieving goals and where we might need to jump in and help or where we're actually making great progress. Along again, them with Zoom and with Slack and other productivity tools, it's been very effective for us. And did you change that? And I think that's fantastic because, you know, obviously the age old saying you can't manage what you don't measure. And so if you put it down and you're measuring it, that's a great way to make sure that everyone is aligned. But did you actually change those goals? Like there's goal setting and then there's the goals themselves. And so as you were working through this, do the goals look different from January 1st? Let's say I'm being dramatic, right? From January 1st not knowing what was going to happen, thinking these are the goals of the company for the year. Did you pivot those goals when you started to realize that this was going to be forever changed? A hundred percent. And one of the greatest things about, we call them OKRs, objective and key results. And John Doors, the son of them, he worked for Andy Grove, the father of OKRs at Intel. And John's introduced OKRs to every company he's ever invested in. And, and and he's taught organizations that this methodology actually is very powerful when done correctly. And one of the superpowers of OKRs is the ability to pivot when you need to and not stick to an annual goal that you put in place at the beginning of the year when it makes no sense. And so for us, if you think about my buying personas are either a CEO, a COO, or a head of HR who wants to bring in more modern processes for performance management, and guess what? They got very distracted. They were working on making sure their people are taken care of. They have the things they need for their health and the well, the welfare, their well-being. And so my one of my personas went away. And the other thing that went away is our sales approach was, you know, this notion of really going in and telling people that their processes are old and antiquated and challenged. And we moved to much more of an empathetic uh, approach to people and helping them you know, work through this time. And so we absolutely changed our goals to meet those changes in the marketplace that we were faced with. And were you surprised by the response from your people? You know, I think one of the things we learned, uh, we have, you know, I work for Salesforce, we have 55,000 employees, is how much 55,000 employees can very quickly start to act like a startup again. It's not easy. <laughs> like, you know, change is hard. People get uncomfortable. You know, it, there was a lot of uncertainty and stress and anxiety and all that goes with just the situation we were all facing. But very quickly, how we just started to rally and align once we realized we had to hunker down and, and keep moving forward. Yeah. So, Tiffany, you know, I, I've done the opposite with my career. I've gone from 
you know, um, being part of Cisco Systems at, at the time, you know, 40,000 full-time employees, 6,000 of those were mine, down to a company now at BetterWorks that's a startup and, you know, we're, we're in the mid-hundreds. Uh, but the greatest part of that is I touch every person in the company in a meaningful way. I mean, I literally reached out. The reason I was working from 7 to 9 p.m. was I was literally, you know, touching everybody in the company. And, and I could see where people were stressed and not stressed. And, and, you know, as a leadership team, we worked very hard. We, we developed a relationship with a company in the wellness space called Modern Health, uh, where people have access to, to people to talk to about some of the stresses that are going on there. Uh, and that's worked, you know, beautifully for us. Well, you're also on a board of a number of companies and have been for many, many, many years, you know. And based on what you just said, what are you hearing from your peers about sort of this future of work and this new way of having more, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to boil down what you just said, kind of those empathetic, soft skills, kind of metrics, well-being, wellness, mental health kind of angle, right? This sort of future of work looking not only different on where we're doing work and the fact that we can do it anywhere more effectively and be more productive, but just the future of work in humans and machines and what our metrics are, et cetera. What, you know, what's sort of some common things uh, without obviously sharing anything you're not supposed to, um, you know, amongst your sort of board peers? It's been so interesting to watch this. And, and of course, it's relative depending on the industry you're in. You know, some people have not been able not to, to be at home. They've literally had to work. You know, um, there are jobs that were, were critical uh, role jobs. But for those people that have had the option to be at home, I think one of the most magnificent things that happened with this, if there's anything good that came out of this is, you know, we used to hire people and we would say, well, that role needs to be at the headquarters. Well, I think a lot of people have realized that that no longer is, is an important metric. Go find the best people you can find on the planet to do the job you need them to do and go hire them. Uh, irrespective of where they are. I mean, you want to be smart. You want to maybe in a couple time zones that are, you know, so things that overlap on a daily basis is, is uh, worthwhile. You know, my leadership team spread out all over the country right now. I mean, um, you know, multiple people have sold their homes and moved to different states because they know I'm not going to require them to be back in an office. And many of the boards I'm on are doing the same things. Many of them are saying not back to work until December of 21. Um, so a year and a half out still, because we just don't know how things are going to return. I, you know, I'm personally not letting, I'm not making any decisions about our return to work for probably another six months. Um, I care a lot about people and I want everybody that works to me to be safe. And I know many other leaders in the, around the world have feel exactly the same way. And I think even when we do go back to the office, it'll be percentages of the people and in critical roles that need to work together and maybe need to work together a couple of days a week, not necessarily all the time. So I think the real estate industry is going to go through a very interesting you know, transition with all of this. Yeah. And we did a, a research study called the Global Stakeholder Series, and we went out and asked 20,000 people across the globe what they thought sort of the future of work hmm. now was going to look like. And, you know, the number one that came back was sort of health and safety of employees, which you just sort of mentioned. And then it got into things like reskilling, skilling, learning, every, people wanting to, to actually uh, fulfill sort of moving their career forward with, with additional capabilities. And, and so 
it might've been, we were going to go to school. Now people are more comfortable with doing it online and it's sort of figuring out that way forward. And are you seeing the same thing internally? And then with your, you know, sort of board peers of really focusing on that beyond the health and safety side of it, just that whole, you know, reskilling and thinking about what are we going to need in the future? Yeah, very much so. Um, you know, and again, being in the HR space, that's always been an important component of, you know, performance management. Part of the conversation is, what do you want to do internally in this company to you know, optimize for the company, but also for yourself? And what I can, what can I do as a leader to help you get there? What do we need to do to give you the right skills, take the right classes to help you get in roles that will help expand who you are as an individual? Well, and I, and I, and I think that what we found that if once we kind of stabilize the business and then we figured out, okay, how do we work in this new, I don't like the term new normal, but you know, in our current situation, because I hope this is not our new normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Like I hope it falls in between where we were and where we are kind of a thing. Um, but uh, it was really kind of get back to growth. You know, if you've stabilized the business, you've done all the things we've been talking about and that's sort of, you know, getting back to some sense of, of productivity at work and how do you balance all those things? Uh, we've definitely started to see a shift of how companies are going to get back to growth. And, and it's not like sales has stopped or business has stopped during this time. That's for sure. Uh, but what have you done um, that you think is really unique or interesting around keeping your people engaged with your customers during this time? Cause we've been focused a lot on internal now let's switch a little bit and sort of look externally and say, you know, what 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 was surprising to you on the employee, I mean, the customer engagement side? Yeah, that's also been an interesting transition as well. Um, you know, what, what most companies have done, they've moved to webinars. And, you know, we used to get a few hundred people at a webinar and all of a sudden we started getting 500 to 1,000. <clears throat> people had time to go out and explore and listen and learn. And that's also changed a little bit. You know, people are now becoming, you know, webinar fatigued. We've right. started to do things like um, smaller things where we do a, what might be something like a breakfast meeting where we send a, you know, a Starbucks card or we actually do a delivery of something through DoorDash to 10 people's homes and they all sit around and have a cup of coffee with some, you know, either healthy or unhealthy breakfast foods and and do a you know, kind of a breakfast meeting they might have done if they did that in, per- in person before. So we're trying to be super creative about coming up with ways to stay close. I, I do think the challenge we do face is having customers and candidly employees that are new to a company feel the culture of the company through, you know, through not ever really meeting anybody and face to face, even through the interview process. I think that's going to be kind of the biggest challenge we need to figure out. Yeah. Have you guys found any fun ways? Because I agree. It was sort of like Zoom is saving us. And then it became, I'm just using Zoom as an example, because it could be any of the platforms that are doing it, Google or Teams or whatever. Yeah. Um, but that's sort of, you know, like, you know, webinar Zoom call fatigue where like, I just don't want to be on a camera today. Like, I think I'm good. <laughs> like you know, it's, just, it's okay. Right. And so we had to get really creative. We do like wine tasting and we send wine and cheese and we, you know, we have a small yay, join the call. And so people are joining because it's a little more fun and it's just not the regular old thing. And we started to do that or we do, you know, send an, uh, an Uber Eats gift card and everyone orders lunch at the same time. And we have lunch together, you know, trying to get creative. Have you guys done anything like that? We have. Um, 
you know, we've done uh, some really fun um, scavenger hunts, including families and kids. We've done meet the spouse, meet the kids. Um, you know, we've also done uh, wine. You know, we're, we're, I'm a wine person, so my company knows that. And so we've done some fun wine tasting stuff, too. Uh, and again, it's just trying to find ways to be super creative. I, you know, and being being a web sharing CEO for a long time. When I came to the company, it was a requirement to be on video as part of a meeting. And I have softened that because, you know, people are at home and, and we've made it okay for the kids to sit on the laps of parents during meetings and have the dog and the cat. And, you know, you, we're in people's homes and we need to acknowledge that and we need to recognize that and not what it would have been in the past. Like, hey, can you have your kids not be in the room while we're trying to meet? Now we all know everybody's kids and we all say hi to them. We all spend 15 minutes before a meeting starts to talk about life, which we never did before. And so I feel like I know my employees much better today than I did prior to this. Yeah. And I think one of the things, you know, I, I, I've had um, so many amazing people on this podcast, you included, of course, but what I have really learned and you just said is when I hear about executives that are very successful for, throughout their, their career, Number one, they're very in tune with the EQ side of themselves, um, which it sounds like you are. Uh, the other is being willing to actually go out and have those kinds of conversations with employees and customers, but not just have them, but listen and kind of absorb it and then maybe action something different because of it. And it sounds like that's what that's where where you've really um, done well in the current climate. I have throughout my career, tried to pride myself in being as approachable and humble as I can possibly be. I've seen, uh, I've seen people in the Valley that are the opposite of that and be successful doing it to the opposite of that too, by the way, but I'm the opposite. I want to be approachable. I don't believe in lines. I tell people I can't fix something that I, that I don't know is broken unless you tell me. You don't need to ask your manager to tell me, just tell me yourself, call my cell phone, text me, Slack me. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to be that person. You know, for a leader or someone who's listening, who goes, gosh, you know, I'm really trying to work on this, you know, and during this time I've had to learn how to be more empathetic and listen and ask those kinds of questions that are maybe not comfortable for me. What, what piece of advice would you give them on that? I'd just be brave enough to do it. I mean, it's never been difficult for me. I'm one of those people that if you, all you can talk to me about is work that you bore me to tears very quickly. Uh, I get energy from people. And so that's an important component of my leadership style. And I like to hire very confident people around me and let them all get in the room. We decide what the right thing to do is I'll have an opinion. And then we all go execute that. And I let them do their jobs. Well, I, I have to, uh, sort of back you up on that one. You had hired one of my favorite people, Luann Tierney, who's your CMO. So I know you surround yourself with really smart people. <laughs> so um, I think she's just fantastic. So it's, it's great to have, you know, that you have her on your team. Me too. And I told you, this is the third company we've been together. And so we've known each other since the mid eighties, I hate to admit. Oh, there's no way she's that old. I'm not going to let you say that on on tape. <laughs> let's let's pretend we didn't say that. Anyway, we'll move on. Uh, but you know, I I want to kind of round this out. So we've kind of started at the high level, you know, from a leadership and the board and and sort of the things you've been able to do internally. But you know, the last thing I said on your bio is what made me really happy when I learned more about who you were was that you started out as a sales rep 
uh, for HP. And I always find that leaders who have carried a bag and carried a quota and understand the highs and lows of being a salesperson have a little bit more empathy for sort of the stress and anxiety that they may be feeling at this time, right? The shoulder, you know, they're carrying on the weight of their shoulders, sort of the revenue of the company. And I'm being dramatic on person on purpose, right? Yeah. But, you know, what, what did you sort of immediately do? Because so many leaders like are going, whoop, you know, what's going to happen to our revenue and our forecast and our pipeline and our sellers that were all outside that are maybe now all inside and, sort of maybe let's round this out with just the role of selling and and how that has changed, um, you know, over the last eight or 10 months. Yeah, a couple of things there. Um, for one, we, we, we started to not go after the HR side of our persona business. So, you know, because they were distracted. But on the other hand, going after people in the leadership side and saying, we have an application that can actually help you get transparency and get your organization working on the things that matter most to you, we have an application that lets you do that. And so we very much focus on trying to help people uh, get transparency into what the organization needs to focus on. And then are they achieving those goals or are they not achieving those goals? So we've very much shifted to the persona of the CXO, if you will, on our side. Uh, and we've also moved very much to an empathetic approach. It's not you know, stiff arming people into trying, you know, hit, hitting them with 10 different, uh, you know, times to before we can get a meeting. We're trying to respect what's going on in people's lives and businesses and also uh, focused on those industries that haven't been as negatively affected by, you know, this whole pandemic. Yeah. And, it, you know, I, I've been talking to a lot of sales leaders lately. And the thing I hear is that salespeople are feeling burnt out. You know, everybody's kind of feeling burnt out. I, I don't want to just say it's just salespeople, but I think it's the constant pace of, I need to hit my numbers. I want to be responsive to my customers. You know, it's kind of always been a 24 seven job, um, but now it feels like there's just even more sort of, I don't even know the right word, kind of, you know, motion happening around that, you know, because everyone's getting inundated. I mean, the clients and customers are getting in it. They're going through their own stress and, and things that are going on in their company and their lives, et cetera. And then sales sort of shows up. They're like, oh, like I, I can't talk to you. Exactly. And so, yeah. And so, you know, are you doing something, um, you know, on the burnout side for sales? Are you trying to find ways, whether it's changing, you know, their comp plans, whether it's changing the quotas they have to hit, you know, do you just kind of give them a little relief. Yeah, we are. We are doing that. We're in the, we're in the middle of doing that. Um, you know, having, again, I, I was a sales leader up until 2007, where I took over WebEx as the CEO. Uh, all previously, I was in sales. So I'm very much um, sympathetic to what they are going through. They're probably working harder than they ever have with less response from people than they've ever had. And so it's been a really difficult time. So we are absolutely going through and reevaluating, you know, how they continue to make a living in these times. Um, and, you know, again, looking at what we can do to uh, create products today that we might not have thought of in our product portfolio that are more important. As an example, uh, we did an acquisition of a company in the engagement side of the business. So you can do surveys of employees. Managers can do quick pulsing of their own organizations and find out how they're doing uh, and also focus on selling things that are helping people in these times. Absolutely. Well, you know, 
I want to be respectful of, of your time. I know you've got a lot of things on your plate. So I first just want to say, you know, thank you so much for spending time with us on the What's Next podcast, Doug. But if there's any kind of last minutes that you do that you could, you know, sort of leave with our listeners, kind of your, you know, leaving and parting advice of what you'd give to people who are just individual contributors all the way up to leaders, what, what would you give them? Yeah, I think it's really an important time that you are omnipresent, that you are proactive in reaching out to people individually uh, as teams, but individuals as well, and letting them know that you are interested to know how they're doing, what's their situation at home, how can you potentially help with that. Um, and more important than ever, you need to know that you know, you're there for your company and you will be there through thick and thin, and you need to show up probably more than you ever had. Well, well said, Doug. So again, thank you so much for joining us today on the What's Next podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure having this conversation with you, so thank you. Thank you, Tiffany. It's been a pleasure as well. What a pleasure to have Doug on the podcast today. It's so great to get real-time, front-line insights into how leaders are responding during this time, keeping their people safe, keeping them their well-being front and center, adjusting goals and metrics. And for me, it was really great to hear how important it is to keep track of the burnout at the sales level. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation today that I had with Doug. Please continue to listen to the What's Next podcast. Uh, refer it to your friends, subscribe, and I really appreciate you spending a little time with us here today. 